So on this first Sunday of the new year, we're going to look at kind of the rest of the story in Luke 2, um, or another part of the story in Luke 2. Um, hear these words from this gospel. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtledoves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what is customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple, but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to pray, praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Israel. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and favor. The favor of God was upon him. May God grant us understanding of these words. So happy new year. So how many of you made new year's resolutions? In recent years, I have not found that very helpful. Not the making of them, but the keeping of them. <laughs> so the last couple of years, I've done something different. I participated in a spiritual practice um, or an exercise called Star Words. Have you heard of that? To receive the Star Words. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Um, I was first exposed to this idea through a blog that I follow, and it's called Rev Val Gal Blog. And um, we were invited to receive a word.
that was selected randomly in January and live with that word throughout the year. To, to explore the word, to pray about the word, to meditate on the word for an entire year. Last year, the word I received was gladness. I received this word while I was still recovering from COVID. We had a difficult Christmas season and I was sick and tired and tired and sick and I had no idea what I'd do with that word. So I decided I wouldn't be very um, respectful if I just kind of ditched it. So I looked up the word gladness on my phone. You know how you can, you know, keep things in your Siri where you can go back to them once in a while. Well, I looked up gladness, got the definition, put it in there, and um, and said, okay, I've done my due diligence. Not really, right? But that's where I was at that time. But over the next weeks and months, I looked at that definition. I looked at gladness, and I was puzzled by what that had to do with me. Gladness didn't seem like something that I wanted to aspire to. Joy? Sure. Happiness? Yeah. Gladness seemed like, you know, a pale comparison to joy. Just, just felt that way. As I was cleaning up my phone between Christmas and New Year's, I go through and, you know, delete, delete, delete. I came across that definition again. And when I looked at it, I had to smile. You see, I realized something really important, something inspiring. You know, Gladness didn't come on with a big flash. It wasn't something I could say, oh, there it is. It wasn't that way. It came on quietly. Because you see that that final week before the new year, some things happened that gave me pause. It snuck into my life when I wasn't looking. That gladness piece that was spending time with my children and my grandchildren. It was an hour-long conversation with my mom. It was watching Pity Pup get all excited about a bird along our path. You get the picture. When I sat there with that word gladness in that last week of the year, something changed. I realized that I knew what it was, that gladness had entered my life. If you had asked me in January of last year, the answer would have been really different. So this year, I'm going to invite you into the process. Next week, when we're celebrating Epiphany, when we're celebrating the gifts that come, um, from the, the wise ones, the, the star that brought the wise ones to Bethlehem. I want to provide some stars, and I'll put on a table randomly. I have the words, I've downloaded them. 
I have the stars and I'm going to put them on the table and invite you to just face down so that you don't know what you're getting. For you to pick a word and then for you to take that word home and decide for yourself what you're going to do with it. You might do like I did and kind of roll your eyes and put it away for a while. Or it might be something that helps you focus on the positives in the coming year. I don't know what word you'll get. I don't know what word I'll get. But I do know that having kind of this focus makes a big difference. So if you're online or at home and you're watching this and you want a word, let me know. So that's kind of some foreshadowing into next week. I wanted you to be prepared because when you walk in next week and there are stars sitting out there, you need to know what to do with them. So our scripture this morning isn't a scripture that we normally look at. At least, how many of you have heard preaching on Simeon and Anna before? Maybe. It's not typically every Christmas season that we hear about them. This scene happens after the shepherds leave, and it's all quiet. And this young couple are figuring out what it means to be parents. How many of you, if you have children with your first child, knew what you were doing? Not even close for me. I'm not even sure I knew exactly what I was doing by the fourth one. We've spent our Advent season waiting. We've anticipated the coming of the Christ child by lighting these Advent candles, studying the Nativity story. And I hope that our Advent time of preparation that we've experienced together enabled you to celebrate Christmas in a powerful way as we simply waited. I hope that you had a chance to anticipate or think about or know or experience the presence of Christ in new ways as we walked this path together. As we look at this scripture according to Luke, oh, and by the way, this isn't in the other Gospels. The story is, is, is in Luke. According to Luke, it's now 40 days after the birth of Jesus. In keeping with the Jewish tradition, after reaching his eighth day, Jesus had been circumcised and named, and now it's 32 days later. He is returning to the temple um, in order to be consecrated to the Lord. Now, the, the circumcision would have happened in their home where they were staying. It wasn't something that they went to the temple for. It happened at home, according to kind of what I read about that time. The visit of the Holy Family to the temple on this occasion actually serves a dual purpose. First, Mary is bringing an offering for her rite of purification. You see, according to Jewish custom, after giving birth, women were considered ritually unclean for a period of 40 days. This is the 40 days afterwards. At that time, they bring an offering to the temple 
and give it to the priest, and then they're declared clean. The second purpose of this visit to the temple um, relates to Jesus. You see, according to Jewish custom, the firstborn male of every household belonged to God. It was expected that they would grow, they would grow up learning the ways of the priests and serving God's temple. However, now I know that you might be thinking that didn't happen, Jesus didn't go live in the temple. But here's the thing. It was possible for parents to bring an offering in a sense to buy back the child so he could grow up and continue the family trade and inherit the family land and so on. So that is the offering that Mary and Joseph have come to make. The normal offering was a lamb. But there was a provision for the poor. And that is what Jesus' earthly parents brought to the temple that day. A pair of turtle doves or two young um, pigeons. So what that tells us is that um, Mary and Joseph weren't rich. They were among the poor. The irony of this whole scene should not be lost on us. First of all, the mother of the Christ child who was divinely conceived couldn't possibly have been considered unclean. On the one hand. On the other hand, she lived as a Jewish woman, and this is what they did. The second thing was that um, the very fact that these parents were buying back Jesus, were giving this offering, um, when he was already consecrated, but just different than being uh, growing up in the temple, doesn't elude me. I, I think that it's interesting that they that they went to do this and 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 Jesus was already Jesus. You know what I mean? In the temple at this time, kind of in the everyday time, there were people coming and going, um, bringing their animal offerings in tow. There wouldn't have been any reason for a poor family with a tiny baby and a couple of small birds to stand out. They would have been one of many such families. But as Mary and Joseph make their way into the temple with baby Jesus, they immediately draw the attention of a man named Simeon. Now, wrap your mind around that for just a moment, if you would. Here's this temple with all these people coming, going, this poor couple with a new baby, going to make their offering. And Simeon notices them. Isn't that interesting? We don't know a whole lot about Simeon. There's no explanation as to why he was at the temple. Perhaps he was a priest, but it didn't mention that explicitly. We can guess that Simeon was probably advanced in years. But other than that, we, we know for the only thing we know for sure about Simeon is what Luke tells us. He was a righteous and devout, and the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he wouldn't die before he had seen the, the Lord's Christ. Here's Simeon. He's been told this. 
somehow, we're not exactly told how that happens. We're not given a picture of that um, revelation to him, but we just know that he has heard that and that he won't die before that. So he's in the temple. Can you imagine such a man? Perhaps he was retired, or maybe he was still working. He had this promise from God, and I'm guessing that he probably made a point of going to the temple often because he wanted to see this thing. He would sit in the temple for, for hours, perhaps, watching people coming and going, eagerly waiting to see the Messiah as promised. And just a side note here, I'm wondering, was he looking for a baby? Or was he looking for something else? This particular scripture just tells us that he's going to, to see the Messiah, the Christ. But it doesn't tell us the details of that. So he's looking for, for something. And then one day, things seem a little different for Simeon. There's a certain electricity in the air. Okay, I'm adding a few things here. Um, on this day, it is the spirit that drives Simeon to the temple, and then it happens that Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus come in, and he knows. He knows that this is the one. What would that feel like? To know. If you've been waiting for something, waiting in expectation of something for a long time, and it happens. Kind of like waiting for that baby that you know is going to be born, and you're, you know, eight and three quarters months along, and you're waiting, and you know what's going to happen. Is that the kind of expectation? That kind of that feeling of of wanting to meet the one? Perhaps he knows because this. Thing has been long foretold. The prophets of old, you know, we've read some of those scriptures over the Advent season, a light coming in the darkness, all of those things. We, you know, he would have known those things. And Simeon is so excited that he cries out in essence, yay, finally, hallelujah. This is what I've been waiting for. Now I can die in peace. Simeon knows that he hold, what he holds in his arms is not just the fulfillment of his spirit's promise to him, but the fulfillment of God's promise to Israel. Wow. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's what Luke tells us. Do you know what the word consolation means? In a general sense, it is comfort that is received by a person after a loss or disappointment. Why did Israel need consolation? Had they experienced loss and disappointment? They did. The Bible is full of those stories. The exile would have been one of those stories. Looking at their history will tell us all the places where that was true. They knew about oppression, they knew about persecution, they knew about hardship, and that is why they needed consolation. That is why they needed comfort. Simeon, realizing what he had seen, what he has just seen, has fulfilled his lifelong dream. And what this is what he breaks into song. 
song of praise. Simeon was not the only person who noticed this young family. We're told that there was a prophetess named Anna also present. Somebody has said that Anna has been here more than 84 years, but nobody knows the exact way that they counted how that would be. Um, was it counted from when she became a widow? In other words, was she like 100? Or was she, was it counted from, you know, when she was born? Was she 84? What, you know, what was her age? She was, she was married for seven years and then had been at the, the temple beyond that. So even if she's 84 years old, that's a lot of years to be in the temple. And what her, what she would do there is she would fast and pray. And it also says that she never left the temple. Huh. So here's Anna. She was also of the tribe or family of Asher. Asher was the eighth son of Jacob. And his name means happy or blessed. Anna knew the blessings of God and true happiness, even though her outward circumstances may have indicated otherwise. I don't think she was there to fast and pray because she, she had nowhere else to go. I think she chose to be there. She chose to fast and pray. She shared the good news, however, when she realized who this baby was. She shared it with everyone around her. The scripture tells us she told everyone. So here are two people who are kind of waiting in, in expectation, waiting in hope. Simeon wants to see the Christ so that he can, you know, well, so he can die died having fulfilled his dream. And Anna has been fasting and praying because she knows what a blessing is coming to the people. And so it's, you know, it's, these two people are here and and I think sometimes in, in the waiting for Christmas to happen, waiting for Christmas Eve, we don't understand quite that this is a fulfillment of a promise. And that's exactly what Simeon and Anna experiences of a promise. They remembered what so many have, others had forgotten, that God had repeatedly promised to redeem God's people, and they spent their entire lives waiting for the Christ to come. Simeon wasn't just a devout man. He had heard specifically from God, from the Spirit, that he would see God's Messiah with his own eyes. And Anna had literally lived in the temple her entire life, trusting the Lord and waiting for the Messiah. So those two were there. The certain hope of God's work among them carried them through their entire lives. Though they had not, had not been kind of a prophet in Israel for about 400 years before that. Because, you know, when you look, read the Old Testament story, there were prophets always saying, this is, this is what's going to happen, or this is what, what's going to be ahead of us. And for 400 years, according to the author that I read, there hadn't been that voice. 
There hadn't been the Amoses. There hadn't been the Isaiahs. There hadn't been the Jeremiahs. For all those years. And yet these two people were waiting in expectation. For us, you and me, we hope for all kinds of things. And some of those things are grounded in kind of what, what we would call biblical hope. Hope that God will make something better. Hope that God will bring good in all circumstances. Some of those things, we can hope for a lot of things. We can hope our family member will finally listen. We can hope that, that um, our illness will finally go away. We can hope for a lot of things. But when I'm hearing the hope of these two people, I'm thinking that the hope is bigger than my small hopes. The hope is bigger that God is faithful. They believed in God's promises. They believed that God would work for good in all circumstances. They held out the hope with expectation of fulfillment and never gave up. So where do, where do we go from here? Christmas is about to be wrapped up. Sometime this week, we're gonna take down um, the Christmas decorations here. I took my tree out at home. It was very dry. Remember, I have a problem remembering to water things. But we take down all that and we stand at the beginning of this year and we're looking at the story of two people who hoped beyond anything that we can imagine. And I ask you, what is your hope? What is your hope right now, right here? Hang on to that. Hang on to that hope. I tell you, I'm going to hang on to mine. I'm going to pray that I don't have to be old <laughs> to see my hope come, come true. I hope that justice rings in our world. I hope that love wins. I hope, I hope, I hope. <coughs> I hope that the light will shine so much more than the darkness. I hope that good will overcome evil. I hope that love will win. And I invite you to join me in that kind of hope. Hope that's for the greater good. Hope that's for our neighbors as well as ourselves. Remember, my friends, that our God is faithful. Remember, my friends, that our God is love.
this, this part of our service together, I offer this prayer. God of grace and God of glory. We hope with you for a better world. Amen.